Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Professor Scott Smith. Scott is, I would say, one of my best friends over the past 10 years. He's had a a real, him and his wife, Donna, um, have had such a substantially large impact on my quality of life for, for, and my relationship with my kids, really. Um, Really appreciate Scott coming on today. The purpose of the episode was to preview Saturday, October 28th, 2023 at South Oldham High School will be the Midwest Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Nationals. So we're previewing that episode. Of course, we always do a little bit of other random backstory talk when I have Scott on, but I appreciate everyone tuning in. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am joined in studio by Professor Scott Smith. Scott, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Today's episode is, let's see, episode number... 600 something. Dang, okay. The big 600. Zero, zero. And for those of you who have been following the Kelly Patrick show since the beginning, so this will be episode 680. 680. Damn. February of 2017, I recorded episode number one, and the two people on the episode were myself and Professor Scott Smith. I remember that. I do remember that. That was a long time ago. Difficult to really think like, because I had already been doing weekend radio shows and stuff, so I had been hosting, but when I started this somewhat independent podcast, I don't remember exactly what I was thinking the goal was with it other than to start a podcast, and then we kind of just talked on episode one about Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Kentucky, mm-hmm. the impact it has had on my life and my, my children's lives, um, and... 
They're growing up too, man. It's so funny because your kids were so small. I got pictures that pop up on the timeline, and I'm like, oh my gosh, is that Johnny? And it's like he's so little, and now it's like he's a he's a grown man. He's 14 years old now. He started training at Gracie Jiu Jitsu when he was four. Yeah. So it's not quite 10 years. I think it'll be March of 2024 will be 10 years since Johnny started training. He doesn't train near as much anymore. But um, he, you know, he still knows the basics. He, he, it has had a big substantial impact on who he is. Oh, and, yeah. and his coaches, his soccer coaches, like, man, that guy's like, um, doesn't shy away from contact. You know, he's pretty coordinated, and I do attribute a lot of that stuff to uh, the jiu-jitsu from an early age. I think it's very good for coordination, of course, of course, self-confidence, all the intangible things. But I think specifically athletically, you talk to Hector Vasquez Mm -hmm. about this, and he's all on board. He's a former professional baseball player. Yeah. And if you get a kid grappling at a young age, and they learn how to even just elbow escape and do a couple basic... Body mechanics things. I believe it is so good for your balance, your coordination, everything. Well, it's funny because I got a story for you. Logan Hancock, I know you know Logan. Oh, yeah. So Logan's been training forever. I don't know how far back he goes. I haven't seen him as much lately. Maybe he's not there on my days. He's in high school. Okay, Trinity? Yep, he's in high school at Trinity, and he's on the cross-country team. So his mom hit me up because I seen that he was injured. And I'm like, oh, man, what happened? So I hit her up, and she said, hey, here's what happened to him. He was basically doing an event on one of the races for Trinity, and she said she's seen him coming down the line, and he, and he wiped out. And she said then he gets back up, and then he continues to run, and he finishes the race, and he crosses the line, and he can't walk. Mm. And then he hits the ground, so they take him to the hospital. He had a fractured foot. This kid finished the race with a fractured foot. Wow. So he's one of the leadership kids, and it's like, you know, we always talk about you get knocked down six times, get up seven, the whole nine yards. But what impressed me the most was the mental toughness. And his mom said, I know jujitsu helped him because he's been doing this his whole life. And it's like, you know, the coach is like, man, he just raw guts. And I'm like, that's the beauty of jujitsu that the parents don't fully understand half the time is what you're teaching your child to do is understand failure. Most parents don't understand that. They want their kids to succeed at everything. And then all of a sudden when they get into life, they fail and they don't know how to handle that. What you're mentioning there is something that is so commonly accepted inside a jujitsu room Mm -hmm. that it sounds like, to me or someone who trains regularly like yeah you have to not be a bitch you got to handle tapping you got to lose and and handle it with grace okay we get that if you're in a room but to a lot of people who are not involved in specifically that type of a uh, an activity they don't know that's i guess not right failure is not really something that you even want to deal with i teach the parents or actually i share with the parents i'm like look you know, there's a level of failure that you have to allow your child to have. And what I mean by that, like, say, for instance, Johnny, if Johnny's wanting to do something, you're like, hey, dude, that's not going to work. Or, hey, you're going to you're going to run into the wall. Don't do that, John. You know, and you have to let Johnny run into the wall sure. because it will hurt him, but it's not going to kill him. Now, if he's out running on Waterson Expressway, that's different. You're like, no, you're going to you could potentially die. Right. So but you have to teach them and allow them to fail and then stop, dust themselves off and look at you like, well, that didn't go very well. And you're like, mm, OK, you know, and, and never be the parent that says, I told you so. And I'm learning this. Um, you know, my, all my kids are older, but um, I was a very disciplinarian like my father. I mean, I'm very, very driven when it comes to that stuff, character, integrity, all that bull stuff. But, um, you know, so when the kids do that, you allow them to fail so they see and they get a taste of what failure is. When they don't have a taste of failure, they get into the real world and no one cares that they haven't failed. 
right? You don't, you're not getting the promotion. You're not getting the position. You're not getting the raise. You're not get, and they freak out. And it's like, so you have to condition your kids and prepare them for, you know, for, for life. That would apply not only to physical ventures, sports, things like that. But I mean, you, it reminds me your fatherly advice. What is it? Your page. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the thought process Mm -hmm. of it because you seem to be a pretty open book, not, not to be setting yourself out there like, look at me, I'm the best dad ever. Oh God, no. Yeah, that's what I appreciate. But uh, that's what I appreciate about your fatherly advice. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm, all I do is talk about my mistakes. And okay. There's a ton of them, and it's like you know, one of the things I share, and, and most parents know this, that kids look at you differently until they have kids. Like I know Dalton and I throughout our life, uh, there would be a situation, and we're going at each other, and I'm scolding him or whatever but i remember what he felt like because i was there and my dad did it to me and i'm like oh my gosh i know exactly what you're thinking but you know what was done to you is one thing in the future you know i'm still a disciplinarian my dad when he walked in you know you didn't ask to get out of his chair if he wanted his chair you got out of his chair Mm. and when he wanted to watch tv he watched tv you know so my whole life was brought up that way and um you know you know me you've been around me long enough i don't like i don't like uh, turmoil. I don't like, I just want it to go away. Right. I want my life to be peaceful. And being that as a father, sometimes you want your son not to make the same mistakes you made. And that's not always the case. They have to be able to make them because that's how they learn. And, and as long as it doesn't put them in a situation of danger. I remember back when I was married 10, 12 years ago something i was married in 2008 divorced in 2015 during my marriage i remember making purchases on credit cards Mm. and running up some debt that i knew was a bad idea because my dad you know i knew right but my wife and i decided it was the what we needed to do and i remember my dad telling me you know he would make a couple comments he he did purposely like back off sure but i knew i was making the wrong decisions and i was able to at least make them serious mess and then that you know of course takes years to dig out of but i guess to your point you can only hear something from a a a parent so much that doesn't mean it's gonna stink in maybe it'll be somewhere in the back of your brain but it doesn't mean it's gonna stick the first time you hear it you still need to maybe fall on your face on your own you you have to because a lot of times your kids will tell you and i'm sure you say it to your dad what you just says exactly that my dad knew it was wrong i knew it was wrong but you didn't stop you did what you wanted to do and then your father now you look at your dad going he knew right he knew it was he's bad. not perfect i know my no, dad's no, no. not perfect yep yeah, yeah but no, nobody on those per- certain things that he made it a point to tell me about right I can't think of any that I'm like, he was way off right. in hindsight. I, I just, you know, fortunately, I guess I've got a good father who I feel that way about. Maybe everyone doesn't, of course. But. Oh, you got a good father and good mother. A buddy of mine, he was, he's a very dear friend of mine. It was funny because his dad was the same way, and I'll never forget it. This has been years ago, well before I, before I knew you. But his dad had told him something similar to what we're talking about, and it came, it, it was true. In other words, my buddy didn't want to do it. He's like, oh, my dad's mouthing off. I'm not doing I'm going left. He wants me to go right. I'm not going right. He went left, and his dad told him exactly what left was going to get him. He went left. He found out that he was he was wrong, and he said to me, he goes, man, don't say nothing to my dad. I don't want him to know that I was right or that he was right. I'll never forget him saying that to me, and I'm just like. You're thinking, your dad already knows he's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like, need to hear it from us. He doesn't need to hear it from me, man. He knows for a fact you, you, know, you, you, you slipped in that water hole. 
but yeah, so it's, you know, when it comes to the kids, you know, allowing them to fail and succeed. And, you know, because a lot of times as parents, we want to take credit for everything. It's still the child's mind to want to be able to succeed or not succeed or, or advance or not advance. It just depends on the child. You know what I'm saying? And some kids mature sooner. Than mm. others. You know what I'm saying? Some kids mature sooner than others. Others don't mature at all. It's like, you know, I've seen, well, I mean, how many 40-year-old kids do you know? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I see yeah. certain people and I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? You're 40 years old and you're still this or you got that or you just do nothing. But, you know, and everybody talks about what's well, my life. And I get that. I totally, totally do. My big thing growing up, and I'll use this analogy, when I would leave with my son in the winter, I would say, Dalton get your jacket he goes i don't want a jacket and i'm like you know how many times has that happened with a the kid there's actually a skit on instagram that shows a kid losing his mind because he does not want to do that he doesn't want to have um uh, a jacket on well the reason i was so adamant about him taking a jacket is because if i slid off the road when it was snowing or ice do you think i if i had to walk to the gas station or walk somewhere do you think I would keep my jacket on and let my son freeze? Mm. Or do you think I would give my son my jacket and I would freeze? Sure. So it's like the reason he never understood that. I was, I was so angry at times because I'm like, dude, I know what I'll do. So I'm trying to protect me more so than you. So kids think this way and they have this different mindset. And we all did when we were younger. We know everything. You know, parents don't know crap. My parents have been deceased since I was uh, 23. I think 23, yeah, they were killed in 1990, April 27th by a drunk driver. And it's like, so I was pretty much solo from 23 on without uh, my dad. But I had other mentors, business, I mean, uh, business mentors and father figures and all that that I was very thankful for. Did you have a godfather? Um, I did, uh, but I don't I don't know where they went. They used to live in our subdivision, but I, I wasn't. By the time your parents there. passed, they weren't as involved. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. So it was like, um. I actually picked up, because I believe in mentors. I mean, I, I have a, a business mentor, um, uh, Mark Kelly. What an insanely amazing gentleman. And he's very successful. And I sit and listen to him. And he's had me think of things differently. And, you know, you've got your spiritual mentors. And you have your relationship mentors. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in that stuff. And even jujitsu. I have jujitsu mentors. Master Sauer being one, I get to fly out Thursday to, to be a headliner for the camp. Super pumped about that. And then uh, Henry Akins, who I found 12 years ago, um, you know, that style jiu-jitsu I've, I've embraced. And, you know, it's, it's helped keep me on the mats, and it's, you know, it's changed my entire view of jiu-jitsu in a positive way. Meaning because when you're not athletic, and I don't want to say athletic, but when you're as you get older, I'll be 57 in a couple of weeks, I'm not – old and ancient but i'm not a spring chicken so i don't have the same cardio as i did when i was 24 25 or even some of the kids training today and it's like you have to adjust your game if not you just you, you just you're lost because you can't i can't move as fast as they do but i can stick you on the ground and you've rolled with me so you know what i mean when i say stick you on the ground <laughs> what as i'm talking you- <laughs> as i'm talking smack to your singing <laughs> But as you say, I don't row. Yeah, I, I like to tell the new people. That's the owner over there, Scott Smith. He doesn't even train jiu As far as I know, he's never even trained jiu-jitsu. Is what, <laughs> if, if, Matt, if Scott happens to be up there without a gi on. Yeah, is this a franchise? I think that he just He must have just bought into just this. bought his franchise. I like to tell people that. Oh, yeah. I like to uh, uh, feel out the kids, class, parents – 
for jokes. Right. Now, obviously, you know, it's a certain room. You can't just like, it's not like I'm talking to Tim Gar behind a closed door. Uh, can't say the same things there. Okay, I can't hear. <laughs> it's a little different content, but still, most parents in there have good senses of humor. Oh, yeah. They want their kids to, you know, train the right way, learn the value of losing, all those things. So sure. I, I do get a kick out of joking around with the parents and. And I have said that to a couple, like, yeah, I don't even think Scott really trained. Maybe he did a long time ago. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know how he got his black. <laughs> that's that's crazy. They they normally seem to think it's pretty funny. So oh, I don't think yeah. anyone. I don't think anyone actually thinks that. Um, that I know of. Right. No. I mean, and it's not true. I mean, I. But you. I, but you are at a point where you have so many. There will be a time you walk into your uh, acad, your own academy, and you're like, "Who's that kid? I've never. I, I don't. Right. I you have. have a, I have it now. I just, just that's what I mean. Just two yeah. Saturdays ago, I went down and shook hand with all the parents who I didn't know. And it's funny because parents are, you know, like, oh, I never see you here. I'm like, I'm there. I'm somewhere in the school all the time, whether it's Shelbyville or, or J Town at whatever capacity every day. It just may not be when they're there. And the whole goal is, is that, you know, I mean, we're doing very well. We're very blessed with two locations. So it's like I'm balancing that out. Um, because you know you have you have different challenges when it comes to that. But what I what I what I look at doing is is I want to be able to be the guest instructor. And so, like for example, if you're teaching, I come in and you you know I pay all my instructors for teaching. But I get to teach, you get paid, and you just enjoy. So I'm going to do a rotation. That's that's the goal. I got to get Shelbyville up and running where I want it first. Uh, it's moving in the right direction. It is. But like anything, business is not. Um, Business is not fair, and it's not always predictable, if that makes sense. So the whole, the whole premise is to get Shelbyville up and running, get it um, where I need it, get the class structure set up, which it's getting there, and then just basically be the guest instructor where I just come in and I pick different classes, and that's, what I'll, that's when I'll teach. Because a lot of people were used to me having a specific class that I taught, and they would come in and train with me. And in J-Town at HQ, I don't have to do that anymore. And in Shelbyville, I'm there on Wednesdays. So, you know, it, and I enjoy it. I, I'll teach tomorrow. I'll teach the, all the kids' classes, and I'll teach the right. adults. So, yeah, it's no gi, which I'm, you know, no gi is no gi, but I, I'm a gi guy because I'm old in old school. But, you know, I teach the no gi, and I enjoy doing that because, you, you know, I, even not preferring a style over another, I still train it because you need it. You know, if it's summertime, nobody has a jacket on. You said you're 57 years old now? I'll be 57 October 12th. At what age did you start training jujitsu? I know we covered this previously, but what age do you remember? I believe it was tw- between, I think it was 23, 24. Like okay. 90, 90, so, 95, 96-ish. I, shortly friend, after your parents passed. Yeah. Yeah, because right. I basically got sent to Evansville. My first jujitsu instructor was Jeff Westfall. And Jeff Westfall was in Evansville, Indiana. He was under Guru Dan and Asanto. He was under Ajar Chai. Uh, so I was doing Muay Thai. I was doing all the the, the Kale, the, the Jun Fan Gung Fu. And then they had this stuff. Um, he called it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I'm like, no, nah, that's Judo, dude. That's Niawaza. And you had exposure to Judo prior to this? I did. I, tra- I trained with uh, Sensei Earl Cheatham. Uh, so, when he was at Bellarmine College. At about the, how old were you when you first did Judo? 1987. So okay. I was 20. 20 you first did 20 to, tw- 20 to 21 so I, I trained for a, a good period of time and maybe a year and a half to two years I'm thinking in my head but I had a daughter and I had a very complicated relationship with her mother so it wasn't like I was free to go train and compete whenever I wanted I, you know and that's what they said you can't get your next rank unless you compete mm. and I competed in judo but I'm like I, I, I don't have time did you get ranked in judo at all mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I was I was up for green belt. It went white, yellow, green, brown, black, I believe. White, yellow, okay. Yeah, and I was up for green, but they said I had to go compete in order to get my my belt. And I'm okay. like, you know, I'm coming to class. I'm doing all the stuff I can because I worked that out with my uh, daughter's mother. And then it got to be very difficult with me and her. And then they still wanted me to come in and compete. I'm like, I can't compete. You know, I'm, 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 I can't. I said, I don't have the time. You know, at the at the time I was there, I had a daughter. and so Full-time job. Full-time job. That's I was an the, important I was the breadwinner. Yeah. I was the breadwinner. She was at home taking care of the baby. You weren't, uh, uh, even when you were then at some point not married to the mother, to your daughter, mm-hmm. you were still always like working full-time, paying for everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you had plenty of responsibility. I've always been the breadwinner my entire life. Even today, it's, you know, being the breadwinner is, you know, the stressful i'm sure you understand that it's, it is an it, interesting thing that isn't really discussed that much right i mean and, and i've i left my job after 20 years for another job that i questioned but it educated me then i came back and then i got let go eight years ago november will be eight years i got let go from uh, the automotive industry because a bigger company bought our smaller company i was middle management and that's a very interesting story but it was the single-handed best thing that ever happened to me but a lot of people you know they look at gracie jiu-jitsu of kentucky and think oh man you know you put you did whatever you're lucky and it's like well i was lucky enough has anyone said that to you oh yeah you're very you're very fortunate you're very lucky that's what capitalism is scott some people just get real lucky some people just don't have the luck that's all there is to it when you buy a pillow to sleep on the couch because you're there from eight o'clock and that's dinner at 10 30 and you're driving a three hundred thousand mile vehicle because you can't afford that was the, the remember the honda accord i had i do that was the first car i had to purchase since 1986 I had a company vehicle every year. I had company credit card, I had a gas card. I didn't pay attention to anything. And then I get let go and had no health insurance, had no nothing. I mean, you've even helped me with health. And it was just a nightmare. Yeah. And I'm like. It's a different. You, you, you went through some definitive uh, 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 life and career, definitive like periods. Your, oh, yeah. your, your story is like, okay, you worked for what was it? Selling paint? Selling automotive paint. Yeah. Yeah. Paint for years. Mm-hmm. And then at one point you, and I remember I was there, I think I was there, uh, happened. I was relatively new around there. What year was that? 2015 or something? Eight, November will be eight years ago. So I, I was 49. I'll be 57. So I was 49. So I just had turned 49. So and got 2015, mm-hmm. uh, where you were let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should clarify earlier. I'm not the my wife makes about the same or clo- somewhat similar to me. So I don't, I don't actually have the primary breadwinner type anxiety. And I never have, to be honest. My ex-wife actually worked too. So I, I have not experienced specifically that, to be fair. Yeah, it's an eye-opener, dude, when you're sitting there. You're the one who's responsible for everything, everything. W- working. I know there are details, but the one who, without you doing what you're doing, there's no no process to anything. No, no house, no car, nothing. When your boss calls you up and says your salary's gone, your minimum wage, everything you make is off of sales. And this was 2008, I think, when, uh, when the economy tanked. Mm. So it's like you're sitting in your house going, that's not what I signed up for. So that's when I got back into selling the coatings side of it. Which I did, which is, um, which was a good thing. I was very, uh, I was far more educated. It's like I went to college, uh, and I helped the company create uh, a different model. Um, and then they had another company purchase us, which you know it was a, uh, the guy's a billionaire that does it. He owns a seventy square mile farm in Montana. To tell you what kind of money he has. 70 square miles. That's like driving from here to Lexington and all the way over. So you square it up, Lexington, and then he owns that. Oh yeah, this guy. And if he if you've seen him, 
you, you, he looked like your grandpa. You wouldn't even look at this man twice, and he's a billionaire. I mean, a billionaire. He sold he sold CarQuest to Advanced Auto Parts for, I think it was $2 billion. What's his name? His name is uh, Temple Sloan. And he sold it for $2 billion. There were more millionaires made overnight in Raleigh, North Carolina at that sale than, than at any time in American history, I think, at that time. Because everybody just crushed it. And, you know, his farm makes money. He has a P&L for his farm. You know, so this guy's very on top of everything. But at the end of the day, it's all business. And I was middle management, and they moved me on. And, um, you know, it was a blessing because I was able to get in this industry, the martial arts, which I've always been in, and I didn't do it to get there. It just was everything that happened was accidental. I mean, I wish I could tell you that I seen it coming. I was preparing. But you did have an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit from an early, uh, uh, oh, yeah. relatively early age. And the reason I say that, one of my favorite details about your story is your, and sorry for if I'm exaggerating, your failed tanning salon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was my college. I, I paid what years? That. What years do you think? What years were those? Wow, what year was that? Oh uh, shoot, man, was it two thousand and? One, two, or three, somewhere in there. Okay, so somewhat we, some in the middle of your paint sale, yeah, selling career, yeah. you like I'll dabble in some entrepreneurial stuff. So I tell people this all the time, and education is expensive no matter how you get it. It's expensive no matter how you, whether you go to college or whether you have a failed business. And the reason I had a failed business was because I bought a salon that was landlocked. I didn't negotiate with the um, strip mall uh, in time. They upped everything the guy mm. that i bought it from lied to us they weren't doing the numbers he was showing on the pno never trust a pno get your w-2s and forget what they say on that because you can manipulate that and we worked true story we worked me and my wife two and a half years some 16 hour days at busy's in seven days a week and did not make a penny the money we made we had to save for the 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 death months that in a tanning salon when nobody showed up to pay the bills so I'm smart enough to be able to manage money, and I'm like, nope, we, you know, we'd make a killer at certain times, right, in the peak season. But I'm like, nope, can't, we can't spend any of that. We would take it and put it in the savings, and then it would wind up getting ate up by the time the year's up, uh, paying the bills in the summer when nobody was coming in and tanning because mm. they had free sun. And, you know, so that's how I started the academy. So what I did was, <clears throat> most people don't know this, but I started, and, and this is not BS. I mean, it's funny because I've had people that I've told the story to, and they look at me like, yeah, okay, whatever, dude. I started Gracie Jiu-Jitsu of Kentucky with only, with only $385. And what I mean is I bought a yard, I bought a prepaid phone, yard signs, and one month rented a church. And I got 13 people. So you had 13 people I that were 13. in the – that's pretty important. Those 13 – any of them still training? Kevin Wheatley just came back, and Scott Deach did too. Okay. So they're out in Shelbyville the training. Okay. But I wound up taking that. I wouldn't even answer the phone. This is when you had a burner phone, and, and it was like $1.25 a minute. So I put a message on there that it was, you know, the school, and then I would call them back on my work phone. And because mm, use it as a pager, kind of. Yeah, I just I didn't have any money, you know. And I, and was sold. that legal? Were you breaking the law when I, you did I, that? I, I was, and they probably wound up trying. I, if down. any police officers are listening, <laughs> if there's a way we is can Paul Maskey here, where's Paul Maskey? Paul will get is right he on. Pop that. out of this closet, hey Paul. Um, but no. So what happened was is that um, it just kept growing, and I took it and rolled all the money. So I kept paying everything off and just rolling it and growing it. And yeah, it's the long game, but I call it calculated risk. A lot of people will wind up spending $100,000, $50,000, $25,000, build a building, um, build it out, 
and then try to fill it with people. <laughs> and what happens is you become desperate. And the beautiful thing about the school, we've been in business 17 years. I've never had to be desperate. As a matter of fact, I've ran people out of the school. Desperation is a very interesting topic. It is. Yanni coming from Cuba. <laughs> we've talked about this. When you get to where you are on that end, where you're like, I literally might starve to death. Right. That's one end. Yeah. Right. And then there's the, 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 a lot of gray area because then you're financially like, I hate, fucking hate this job, but I can't quit because right. I got this and this and this. Golden Th- handcuffs. That's very, des- that's desperation also. But then there's a point, maybe at some point, hopefully many experience it. I won't say that I have where you're kind of like, I think I'm, I think I'm free. Mm-hmm. I'm not there, mm-hmm. but I think it's, I think it exists. Mm-hmm. It does. I'm in it. Okay. I'm in it. I mean, I just got back from what, Arizona, training with Maynard from Tool for nine days, eight days, whatever it was. We were really? Out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then getting ready to go to D.C., went to Costa Rica. Maynard's a brown belt. Mm-hmm. You've rolled with him. I've trained with him, yeah. yeah. Okay. He was with a He's not in there going nuts with the free training. No, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he likes he, drilling some techniques. He, 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 he has his specific people, but he was actually down in Lexington with Perfect Circle. And Henry took me down there with him. I didn't know who it was. And he's like, hey, man, my buddy Maynard's down there. They're, they're, they're singing in Rupp Arena. You want to go? And I'm like, oh, okay. I, I don't even know who they are. So I cruise in, and Maynard opens the door. And, you know, him and Henry have known each other forever. I mean, they're buddies. And um, so I got to work with him, you know, and got to put some pressure and, 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 and just play around. Because he was getting ready to sing, and it's like, he's like, hey, man, put all your pressure on me. And I'm like, oh, dude, I don't size-wise on the mats who would you compare him to at our gym size-wise uh thinner but scott holland okay a little thinner but, but oh, okay so about 150 pounds scott holland okay mm-hmm. okay yeah. okay cool yeah. you know all through high school and i guess those are formative years that maynard's been my favorite musician oh really yeah it's funny because um there was so many people hitting me up hey man get me an autograph give me this and maynard's not into that stuff okay i can see it yeah all. i've seen him be he's not even into you pick taking pictures with him that's and, fair and, and you know so i was very blessed when we got there to cottonwood that's where his his winery and stuff is arizona in arizona henry set it up where maynard gave us a personalized tour it was rich van hook peggy donna me when was this uh we got we got there the following that past Sunday, and I think it was on Monday. This was recently. Yeah, it's when we were in Arizona. Okay, okay. So wow, when I went, yeah. wow. Yeah, so he he wound up giving us a. Uh, but a he, nice guy. I mean, it's fine to to be a celebrity and not want pictures and stuff. You know, that's fine. But he's nice, interesting guy to get to know, huh? Oh yeah, and you know, here's the bigger thing. I don't know his life, and, and you know. Some people were getting a little pissed off about no pictures. And I'm like, this guy's been doing this stuff for 20 years. Dude. More than that. Uh, more yeah, than that. More than that. Since he was famous since like 91. And, and you know, we don't know what he deals with. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how how am I yeah. someone that would say something to him about, you know, so it's like, no, I get it, dude. And, I, you know, I honor what you, what you want and what you don't want. You know, because it's like, I, I don't get starstruck. I don't really care. But there's a lot of people that like Tool and Maynard. Oh, I, yeah. I, I just knew one song because Henry's like, you, you, have you ever heard of them? And I'm like, I said, I may have heard of their song. And he, he wound up um, sharing with me. And, and then after I heard it, I'm like, okay, cool. I went on this Tool, Perfect Circle, Ben, Listen listening to, to all yep, their yep, stuff. Yeah. And I'm trying to pull a picture up of when we were all sitting in, in the... Uh, so you do have a picture of you and Maynard? No. I took this picture. 
That's okay. Ernest. Oh, he, he okay. He grabbed him really quick. Maynard walked up and said bye to me because he was coming. Maynard up. looks like maybe he's like, hey, why am I in this picture? Yeah. He was leaving to go to Louder Than Life here. So he flew to Louisville. He was. They performed. And jumped yeah. back on the plane and flew back wow. with us. Yeah. So it, it was It was just, I mean, it was super cool um, to be a part of that. And, and hang, here it is. There's our. I have seen a Come to think of it, I have seen a picture of you in there with him. Oh, okay. There you guys are. This is all his. He built all this. It's, it's amazing. So we're there, and, and Maynard's giving us the full run of everything he's wow, doing. Wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was super cool, and he was a super nice guy. He is someone who has reached what we were describing earlier. And what I mean by that is I think Tool and Perfect Circle, the residual income maybe or whatever, they allow him to. A lot of times he spends most of his time with his third band, like Pussifer. Pussifer. Um, I think Perfect Circle's done. Uh, oh, is that right? Somebody was making mention of that. But, but, but Pussifer... I, I've listened. I'm not as big of a fan of it. I, I don't think it has near the following. I bet I bet it's not near as lucrative. But I think Maynard probably obviously enjoys it. So oh. he's at the point where he's like, okay, well, I'm going to do what I enjoy, even though just touring nonstop with Tool would make the most revenue. Right. He, he, you know, it's funny because I, I tell this story to, to, so how, to show how oblivious I am to it. Um, but when I went down there and met him, and we trained, and he, you know, you see he's bald. And, you know, I'm not a concert goer, so I can't sit here and say that I follow concerts and all that. I'm, you know, when it comes to big crowds like that, I'm, I'm very selective. But so he gives us tickets, right? So we get tickets and we go and we sit. And I think I was sitting next to his mom. I think his mother was there. Manders' mom? Uh-huh. I believe it was her in this group. You know, he had his line of seats. So me, Henry, and all of us got to sit there. And the band starts. And I don't know if you've ever seen Perfect Circle. I have. Okay. They do a silhouette. They don't, you don't see their faces. Sure. So I'm sitting there, and this dude's singing. I don't know the band. So I'm sitting there, and they're jamming. I'm like, damn, you know, it sounds good, of course. And then all of a sudden, Maynard, you know, that I didn't know was Maynard, was up there singing. This guy's got this long hair, and he's yeah, singing. He's all I saw. A, a so I lean, over, I lean over to Henry Aikens. I'm like, hey, man, when's Maynard getting out and singing? I mean, this guy sounds pretty good. But when's, And he started laughing. He goes, that is Maynard. And I just looked at him. He goes, he's got a wig on. Because I didn't, I didn't know anything. I didn't know that he wore different outfits or whatever. And, you know, so it was just comical that, like, I had no clue. And then when I left, Maynard actually on Facebook hit me up and said, hey, man, it was nice meeting you. Thanks wow, for very yeah, nice. Yeah, it was super cool. And um, just a super nice guy, man. I mean, he is a super nice guy. Yeah. Good. He, That's good just, to hear. You know, he's, he's just. He's himself. He's unique. Yeah. I mean, and, and please understand, like, any celebrity dude. You know, you don't know what they live through, like a football player or because everybody wants a piece of them, mm-hmm. you know, and it's fine. It's kind of flattering at first, but then think about it for 25 years that you can't go anywhere. You can't even go up here to Honey Brothers without people stopping you and pictures and autograph, you know, and it's like, dude, enough. I just want to, I just want to go get my coffee and come home. I did hot yoga right next to John Schneider. Oh, wow. Him and I were like, just couldn't have been closer to each other physically a couple weeks ago. And I was really? thinking... This guy's pretty wealthy. You know, everybody knows who he is. Kind of interesting to just be thinking, like, hmm. why is he here? Well, I don't know. It's just, he's, I'm not saying that he's on Maynard's level. I don't, you know, as far, but I mean, he's pretty well, wealthy he's too. Well yeah, he's very well known. He's and very well known. Not always in the most positive lights necessarily, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, he seemed nice to me. His wife was there with him. He was very respectful. And I'll tell you a funny story about, Snyder that happened to me in Springhurst uh, when the school was over at Springhurst when I was training over there I went across the street to Starbucks okay. to get a coffee and I walk in and I'm uh, sometimes and I'm sure you've been there where sometimes you speak sometimes you don't want to speak sometimes you want to chat with people sometimes you don't want to chat with people so I walk in and this guy's talking to me because I had a L shirt on 
He's like, hey, you know, U of L, blah, blah, blah. And I just look at him like, yeah, yeah. And I kind of blow the guy off. It was John Snyder. It was John. He I was walked, trying to strike up a conversation with you. He was trying to strike up you. a conversation. I was blowing him off as I was leaving because I didn't have time. And yeah. I'm like, just like, yeah, yeah, cool, man. Yeah, I laugh. And then I move on. And I got in the car and I went, I know that guy. Yeah, it took me a minute. He's yeah. the type guy. He's got like yep. a, a distinct look, but yep. it, it almost sneaks up on you. If you're right next to him, he, he looks a little different. But then I was like. Yep. Yeah, that's him. Yep. And you know, it's fame is a uh, is a fascinating thing. Oh yeah, I don't I don't want it. I want to be a billionaire and nobody knows my name. Sure, I do. I'd rather be a billionaire and not one person. My 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 dream, and this is so funny. My dream is to go buy my dream my dream car. I mean, like a Porsche GT three, GT two RS, whatever, in a pair of just like I'm dressed now. A T-shirt and a pair of gym trunks and flip-flops because you have the money, and I walk in and say this is the one I want, and to see how people treat you because people always judge when you walk in somewhere based oh, yeah. on how you look. Yeah, and it's like you know I do my best not to do that because I did it in the automotive industry. I would treat the cleanup boy the same as I would the owner. Why? You say, well, that sounds fictitious, Scott. Well, the owner of Church Brothers, Dan Hall, was the cleanup boy. Sure. And he married the owner's daughter of Church Brothers. Then they owned the business. They got divorced. She said, you can have the business. I don't want to have nothing to do with it. Wow. Pay me out. He did. Then he created four and five other locations. So this guy was like the holy grail. He was the Hickson of the automotive industry in Indianapolis. I mean, this guy was insane. I mean, to the point where he sold his businesses to Ford. Ford tried to buy him. So, you know, you just never know what the cleanup boy is going to do. And it's a start for everybody. But I think every human being needs to be treated with respect. It doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, treating somebody with respect is, is, is extremely important because as men, what do we strive for? We want respect. Sure. So, and we joke. I mean, you know, you and I joke. I mean, we all cut up. That's different when you're hanging out with your buddies and they're not saying something to you maliciously. Sure, there is a line, There's of a course, line. with the joking around There's too, a, obviously, the, always. And, and you and know it, That's what it is. It's the... the I'm respectful. We're joking, and then there's the the place where, in some cases, can be you know excessive. The res- the respect starts to go away. Well, when when I say it to you maliciously, should the malice. you know if there's something physically wrong with you, and I've seen that happen. Like everybody was joking, and one guy got mad, and he made a comment about one of the guy's teeth, and he said it with intent <laughs> at the academy. No, 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 no. This is my old my old industry, but he said it with intent. Are you sure it wasn't yeah, a- it, it, exactly? But the whole entire vibe of the group changed. Yeah, this guy. I thought this guy was going to get his butt whipped. Sure. I mean, it was like everybody flipped on him, and he's like, and I'm like, dude, that was uncalled for, bro. I mean, we're all joking and cutting up, but then there's that level of maliciousness. So, you know, in in, in any business, you know, it's like Gordon Ryan. We mean, Dalton, we're talking about that. I don't know if you've seen his fight. He was using pressure and just crushing the guys, but. I didn't see it. I heard it wasn't very, very. Well, it was good. It was good. It dominated. dominated. There's no way you can dispute that guy. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, he trash talks for likes watches all that and revenue just like conor mcgregor sure you know these guys are marketing geniuses sure. and it's like it's not my cup of tea because i don't believe in it. i believe in honor you know if you're fighting somebody it's honor whatever and that's the way i try to live okay i try to live that way but when it comes to stuff like that and you need to sell tickets it's easy to sell tickets when they hate you because they want to see you get your butt whipped always so then all of a sudden you look up and the stadium's packed and you're making more money and your opponent's making more money, too. Don't think Conor McGregor. If you look at Conor McGregor and, and uh, uh, Floyd Mayweather. That right? fight. Okay. If you watch that trash talk, they knew. 
Oh, Floyd yeah. knew it was a game. They were playing it. They were doing all that, and then we're just hyping it up to to create what they created. And Floyd didn't go in with the intentions of knocking him out quick because it wouldn't have looked good. Sure, so they, you know. But again, they made a ton of money, and and Floyd, that was his world. Connor was not going to beat that guy. He's a master at his craft. Now, let's flip it. Oh, let's, no, put, no, let's put Floyd in MMA. I'm talking same within thing. within moments. He's going to get dropped to the floor. A head so kick, they, maybe. Oh. Maybe a kick right away. Who knows? Or, or Connor could even shoot a double, I oh. bet. He's a, a black belt in jiu-jitsu now. He's trained enough grappling with high-level people. He could probably do whatever he wanted to in an MMA ring with him. Yeah, I, I simply agree. So, interestingly enough, that's kind of the, the, the whole breakdown. You know, the MMA world is is uh, got that element of, of uh, entertainment. It has to, to draw the people in. But now it's got such a, it's got such legs that everybody wants to see it, right? They want to watch, um, um, who's the top guy in the UFC right now? Um, shoot. Anyways. Well, ever you know the John. I'll use John Jones as an example. You know, John Jones had his fair share of problems, but they all claim him to be the goat, and they want him to be back in there. Sure. Okay, but then you know, so everybody talks the crap, and you know, it's my turn, blah blah blah. So it's you know that that whole premise of of what they do is is just um, entertainment based. Now the fighting's real, so so let me let me put that in check. But you know the the whole drama thing, kind of WWE sort of, but different. And I think those guys kind of go after each other a little harsh, you know, where I know the WWE is skidded, right? Now, what they what the WWE does, the, the physical attributes, unbelievable. Sure. But the 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 whole thing is a skit. They sure. know who's going to win. They know what, you know. So it's 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 different. And, and Dalton hated me forever for telling wrestling was fake. But when I said it was fake, I think he thought I meant them diving off the top of the daggone uh, ladder was fake. That's not fake. All that stuff's real. It's just skidded. It's not like you're coming in here and it's, it's like if you and I fought, who's going to win? That's not the way WWE is. They knew everything, and they just played it out. Until what age do you think Dalton believed WWE was real? Dalton believes WWE. Oh, thank you. Oh, my goodness. Look at you, Miss Awesomeness. Wow. Yanni, I got a Cuban Let's coffee. Let's go, Yanni. <laughs> Let's go. I love it. Yanni, my lovely wife, Yanni, just brought me a Cuban coffee, which I – as long as I don't get it too late in the day, it doesn't impact my sleep. This is perfect. Oh, uh, yeah. And then uh, a I nice think a smoothie, smoothie over yeah, here. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean. Dalton, it, I, I did ask, and I would like an answer. Until what age did Dalton believe WWE was real? It's, he still does. He still believes it's real. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, God love him. I mean, you know, he's got all his action figures he still plays with. We have him he's a good jiu-jitsu instructor. Yeah, no, he's very talented, man. I mean. He is, all jokes aside, Dalton is a very good jiu-jitsu instructor. Dalton, so it's it's ironic what you find is like some people, including myself, like I hated, I wasn't a school buff, but now it's like if you come to my, if you come to my home where I sit at the house, there's stacks of books everywhere and I, I just read. I read, 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 and I couldn't read to save my life because I didn't want to back when I was younger. I just didn't do it. And now it's like, you know, I got just cons, and I don't read fiction, so I'm always reading business books or, okay. you know, uh, autobiographies. I don't really read fiction either. I can't stand it. It just doesn't, it, it's like I'm wasting my time. But, There's been a few historical pieces, you know, I, I would say like 1984's fiction. You know, there, there there's books that are. Sure. They have some significance, but, and they're still fiction technically, but I don't really, I agree, I, I'm not a fan of, I think men on average don't read near as much fiction as females. Probably fair to say. 
I think that's a fair statement. But you know, getting educated because you know my dad was a was a um, factory guy. He blue worked, He worked at Roman Haas. He's blue collar. His 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 remedy was get a job in the factory, take care of your family, let your wife stay home, raise the kids. Well, that was the that was the formula at that time, that's, and it worked for the most part. My, I mean, dad, there's my dad was success. My sure. dad was a so, total success of that. And as you get older, it's like, I, I couldn't do it. I didn't want to have nothing to do with that. I'll have to grow something. So I'll, they would put me in territories like Evansville or Lexington or uh, Southern Indiana. And they say, all right, man, there's no sales here. or There's small, a small amount. You grow the business. Incentive-based. And then just get commission and you'd get in and work. So then when I, when I brought all my knowledge from the automotive world over to the, to the, to the gym, it was like I understood business enough to where I could adjust it. Now, I'm not stupid to where I, I thought I knew everything. So I would have to literally meet up with different consultants and whatnot and, and ask specifically, okay, this is the gym business. What am I missing? What do I need to do here? That kind of stuff. And, you know, so it, it, it helped educate me, but, but my father didn't know and wasn't the entrepreneur. So I, I always share with people, dude, you got to seek that out. You got to seek people that are where you want to be and ask them, hey man, you know, take them to lunch. Say, hey man, can I can I t- buy you lunch and just ask you some sure. questions? Because most people that are successful in whatever field, they have they have the the urge to want to give back. Most of them do. I know there's some that are closed minded, but most people want to give back. So if you're a young whippersnapper coming up through the business, I want to help you as much as possible, right? So that way I can help you dodge some roadblocks you know you may be going a direction like hey man i'm gonna tell you what you're gonna run into and and i couldn't get over it now you might be able to but you're gonna face this and people can make decisions based on where they need to go from that and it's been very wise for me to seek out other business uh, role models because i think one way and then when they talk because they're very successful i'm like oh shoot i don't even think that way and then it starts to get you to think and like, man, you know, that's interesting because the bigger problem that people don't realize, especially in business, when you are learning business, it takes you a while to convince yourself and to build that this is how business is done or this is what I need to do. You hear it. How many times does your wife said, take the trash out, take the trash out, take the trash out? And sometimes you just don't do it, right? Or clean this up or we got to get this done. Same in business. You may know what to do. Even in your sales of what you do, you may know what to do for whatever roadblock you have in front of you. You just haven't pulled the trigger to do it. Sure. Or you did and it didn't give you the success you thought, so you backed off of it. So this whole game gets played. Sure. And then you have to develop that skill set and saying, okay, this is different. Because even in our business now with two locations is different than juggling one location. Sure. And so now I'm looking at, I'm going to wind up seeking out... um uh, kind of consulting where it's uh, structuring the business. Does that make sense? Sure. Because if you're not constantly learning and changing and adjusting and just living, you'll look up and all of a sudden you've lost everything. But if you're constantly making that small 1% gains and moves in the positive direction, by the end of the year, you're like, oh man, look how far we traveled. And we've done that. I mean, I write out goals every year. Like I'll, this is the fourth quarter now, it'll be in October. I'll wind up writing all my goals for 2024. I'll go back and look at all the goals I had for 2023 and I'll circle the ones that I did not complete because some of them take longer. And then some of them you have as your goals, but you take your eye off the ball. And that becomes a huge, huge difference um, when you're when you're doing business because if you don't have goals and building a roadmap, 
you stay in the same place. Sure. And over time, sometimes maybe the goals will, you'll look back and say, that was a goal, something changed. Mm. That particular one maybe isn't actually a goal anymore. So I, I did an accomplishment Always. and, you know, Always. so you got to constantly, constantly be moving. willing to, that's something I take away from you. It's like, I'm doing well with the business, but I'm constantly looking to see what change is going to happen one way or another. Um, I, I just got to make sure that I know, you know, so I'll which say. way things need to go at that time. Your, 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 bus- your business model does not seem to be stagnant. stagnant. I'll say this to you, Sears and Roebuck. Kodak, Toys R Us, What's, what, what do all these have in common? They did not change. They did not adjust Ooh. to the marketplace. Now they're okay. gone. I, when I was a kid, if you had a Sears and Roebuck credit card, true shit, if you had a Sears and Roebuck credit card, every other credit card company would accept you. That was like the epitome. Mm. If you had the Sears credit card, it was so hard to get that. That was a pride thing. And I remember, I'll never forget it because I didn't understand credit cards all that well, but I had a stack of them. Right, I had a MasterCard, a Visa, a Sears credit card, a JCPenney. I mean, I had them all. And it's like, I didn't know. But I wasn't a spender where I put myself in a hole, right? I'm very frugal when it comes to that. From day one, you were yeah, yeah. smart with oh, your money. Well, my mom. My mom raised me that way. Okay. More became, so your mom than your dad. Well, I'll give you an interesting story. So, um, and I'm, I'm aging myself here. But there was a shampoo back in the 70s called, Gee, Your Hair Smells Terrific. Okay. And everybody probably did my age is laughing because they know about that shampoo. It smelled amazing and it was great. So I came home. We went to St. Rita. We were the we were enough to be some of the poorest kids in St. Rita, meaning we ate 10-cent lunches and all that kind of stuff. I so, went to St. Rita not long ago, actually. So like yeah. the mass I went to was all Hispanic. Hispanic, yeah. Yeah, the, the one of the ministers there drew that. But um, so we – hell, I forgot what sorry, I was. Sorry, sorry. You were saying um, something about uh, uh, credit cards and you went to St. Rita – you got to be careful with me, dude. Me too. I, I, I'm literally the guy. I threw you off there. I'm sorry did. with and the, the like Hispanics. I go, I, I, go, I, go bl- I go blank. Oh, you, no, I said, was it your mother who, who led you to be frugal with money more so Thank than you. your father? Thank you. So, gee, your hair smells terrific. I came home and I said, Mom, I want the shampoo. And my mom looked at me and she wouldn't. I had to fight her constant. So, she finally, I walk home. She hands me this bottle. And gee, your hair smells terrific. And I'm like ecstatic. So I put it downstairs in the shower. I get up that next morning, and I wash my hair with that amazing smelling shampoo. Now, remember, this is in the 70s. I go upstairs. I open up the cabinet to get my cereal that I always eat, have been eating forever, and it wasn't there. And I looked at it, and I said, where are my cocoa pebbles? And she looked at me, and I'll never forget this. She said, you wanted that shampoo, didn't you? She said, I had to cut somewhere. And I'm like, fuck. (laughs) Guess what I didn't want after that. What uh, age was this? I was in, uh, I'm going to say either the sixth or seventh grade. Okay, so it stuck. That was a that very was formative most, years. That was the most profound time that I was like, I realized that in order to get this, I had to give up that. And you didn't need a fancy economics degree or anything At like all. that to, to understand At all. the At rest all. of your life. Like, hey, if we're going to be spending here. Yep. We got to make sure that we're, you know, accounting for it somewhere. And my mom said to me, uh, as I was growing up, she said, my name is Michael Scott Smith. So they would always call me Michael when they wanted to be very serious. She said, Michael, I'm going to let you know this. She said, if you make $1,000 a week, you don't spend $1,001 a week. She said, you're going to put yourself in a hole and you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be in serious financial trouble. 
you always live below your means. And then another gentleman that I, I um, really uh, enjoyed, his name is Fred Matthews from the Celine Club. I was in the Celine Mustang Club for years, but this guy owned a cabinetry company. And he came to my home and he said, Scott, he goes, I want to tell you this. He goes, remember, you're not a man by how much money you spend. You're a man by how much money you save. <laughs> and I just looked at him. And I was, at that time, my parents were killed. I was 20, maybe 24, 24, 25, maybe. And I was just looking at him and, 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 and you know, hanging on to every word he says because this guy had money. I mean, he was very wealthy. And I was like, damn. But he made his wealth. He actually was a, owned a donut uh, company and making donuts like a Dunkin' Donuts, sold it and then bought this cabinetry company. Wow. He knew nothing about cabinetry. So the guy that he bought it from taught him and he just, I mean, he killed it. He lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Wow. I really miss that guy. Um, Scott, we wanted to do the episode today before we let time slip away from us. We wanted to do the episode today for the most part to, actually, I would like to do to a conversation about recapping the history of the Midwest Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Nationals mm-hmm. uh, tournament in a preview of the upcoming tournament. Yeah. So uh, real quick, we, we got stuck by GoDaddy. Our website is uh, MidwestBJJNational.com. Thank you to the guy in Hong Kong who they sold our our entire URL to because they, they let it lapse, sent all this information, I think, to a, an email address we no longer use. So it, it's I may wind up changing it just to m uh, mwbjjn.com, but right now it's just national, not nationals. So um, we're looking at having our next tournament at South Oldham uh, on October 28th, which is Saturday. Um, we'll do the weigh-ins. I think the weigh-ins will start at uh, 8 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken. And for anyone that's been a part of that, or if you haven't been a part of that, one of the biggest things that we do at this tournament, and, and people are just blown away, and we do it every single time, we start the tournament normally at 11 o'clock. So all the from 7, 8 o'clock up to about 10.30 when we do um, when we do uh, uh, rules and whatnot, they literally... From 11 o'clock, we'll start at 11 and we'll finish by about 2.30. And that's everybody. We do a shotgun start. We have kids at one end. We have black belts and purples down at the other end. And we purposely try to do our best to get everybody out of that gym as soon as possible. And we've been very blessed to do that. Now, we've had as many as 200 and I guess 240, something You say as soon as possible. I know you're shying away from details. I get it. I get it. I'd be doing the same thing if I were in your shoes. I get it. But you do have a good track record of getting people out. Mind mentioning normally, yeah. I know it's not, you're not guaranteeing it's going to happen this time, but how will you tell us details about what time it starts, what t- exactly what time it, it is literally all done? By 2.30. That's what been the history we, of it. The history is we start at 11 a.m. and we're done by 2.30. And I don't, I don't want, I hate saying that. I know you do. What, I had to what beat if it we out. had 500 people competing? You know, it's going to take longer. But, you know, one of the things that I've had, the biggest complaint we have in our tournament is people need need a rest. Mm. We, we pump through them so fast. I've seen that. Yeah, the guys are like, hey, man, you got to give me five minutes because it's like boom, 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 boom. And then if we have a big division and then we have an empty ring, we shift, we load shift. We take them and say, hey, man, this is your table. Go over to this one. You're going to compete. This referee's going to ref it. Bring the card back. And so when they come back, they have all their information, and that table still manages it, but yet fights are going off. 
And, you know, we've been we've been so blessed with that. You know, the Midwest BJG Nationals is uh, um, something that we put together, if I'm not mistaken, what, what is it, four or five years ago? You've done, you've been refereeing three or four, I think. I, I think I ran a table keeping score for the first couple of years. I think, is it, did it start four or five years ago? Yes. So I was possibly involved right when it started? I, I, I'm maybe thinking you, I'm okay. Thinking you, I'm thinking you are whatever okay. table or whatever. That's when you first started doing a, a tournament. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we wanted something different. You know, the the, the bigger thing when I was coming up through the ranks, um, there was no tournaments. We put on the only tournament, which was the bluegrass tournament that uh, uh, that they did uh, at EP Tom Sawyer Park, and that was the only tournament. Now there's tournaments almost every weekend. I mean, you can compete if you want to travel every weekend, and you know the thing that that suck the most about any tournament was what being in the gym all freaking day you'll get there at eight o'clock and you may not compete till 6 p.m right that's just brutal so we started creating this 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 uh flow that we have at the midwest and you know doing the shotgun start that way um Everybody was able to to, to go off, and, and the brown belts were done, and the blue belts are done, and the kids are done, and then we load shift, and so that way they're not waiting just in one ring, and man, it just cranked. I mean, I'll never forget the first one we had. We had people showing up at 2.30 to watch, and we were cleaning up, and they looked at us, and they're like, they were blown away. They're like, are you kidding me? You're all done? Like, bro, we've been done for like 15 minutes. So the whole premise of uh, putting the, 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 the Midwest together is the efficiency. Now, with that being said, the goal is to get 500 competitors, 1,000 competitors. When that happens, we're going to wind up splitting it. And what do I mean? We'll have 10 rings that the kids will compete in. Then the kids will be done. And while the kids are competing, the adults don't have to show up for a little bit of time. So they'll wind up weighing in. And then all of a sudden, the second wave will come in. So instead of only going and having six rings for the adults, we'll have ten rings. So we've already got it. If if this if the um, if the Midwest grows larger than what or to the capacity we're we're anticipating, uh, we'll be able to have that. I love it. So once again, a recap of the details of the tournaments, how someone can learn the rules, uh, everything. Go to MidwestBJJNational.com. Rules are there. Uh, we're actually getting a young lady, uh, our old website guy has moved, Randy moved. He moved up to Wisconsin, got a promotion, and that's Kenny Stewart's dad. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was doing all of our stuff. He's no longer, so we're having to make some shifts. So I apologize about any of the hiccups, delays, whatever. But so uh, October 28th, Saturday at South Oldham High School in Crestwood, uh, we'll put on our Midwest BJJ Nationals. Uh, you go through the front of the school. Don't go to the back. Go to the front. You'll walk in. Um uh, you know, bring family, friends, whatnot, and they'll weigh you in. And then at ten thirty, we'll we'll set the rules up. We're actually looking. I'll throw this little tidbit. We're wanting to put all the rules on video. Mm. So instead of having rules meeting, we'll start at ten thirty. Wow! So that way, we'll, you have to go on a link. It's on you. If it's you're going to compete, you're gonna you need compete. to. Here's the rules. You're going to hit that. I link, like that. And you'll go through it, so everybody knows. And then we'll start, and then, you know, we'll just, you know, we, we roll till we're done. And, uh, you know, we have so many cool, awesome schools. You know, CORE supports us a ton. Uh, Matt Strack up in Dayton, Ohio. Ken Tran. Um, 
you know, Aaron Burgess. I mean, I'm, I know I'm going to be missing people. Uh, but, you know, there's so many good schools and so many good competitors, and it's just a, such a good vibe. And, you know, that's what we try to build. And it's a round robin. So please understand, if we had 225, 250 competitors, and you had four in your division, you're fighting three times guaranteed, mm. each person. So it's like, you know, we're doing a round robin, knocking it out in two minutes, in th- uh, two and a half hours to three hours. Imagine if we did single elimination. Right. So once you lost, you're out. I mean, mm. we would probably be done in an hour and a half. And I do mean that. It'd be an hour and a half and be finished. Oh, I know. I ref it. I, yeah, I, I it's, see it's, it. It's, like it's, it's, it's crazy. When you have, it's wild how long the other ones take. Because. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't know. Right. I, like yeah. what the hell's going on? Well, and I get, you know, here's the funny thing. There's been several tournaments come through Louisville and anytime somebody goes, they'll hit me up and they'll say, dude, bro. You know, they need to get a hold of you, you guys, because, man, they, they had rings that were empty. They had nobody, you know, no referees here. They only had one match going on. Yeah. And everybody's sitting around. And But I don't understand. I don't know their um, tournament. So it, there, there may be legitimate reasons for Maybe that. Maybe as it grows, you'll encounter different things. Yeah, yeah, no, and we will. And we've already got a plan for when we get to the beyond, right? Okay. It's just getting, it's getting the word out, letting people know what we do and who we are. And, you know, to me, that's the bigger thing because we make the tournament fun. It's family friendly. Um, you know, I, I don't – this is something we built. It's not the IBJJF, but it's something that you can bring your, your, your students and they can have, one, fun. Two, they can compete with, you know, really cool, good people. And that makes things way different than what they were in the past. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes – I'll never forget the Pan Ams when we got there at 8 a.m. This is in 1999 in Miami. We got there at 8 a.m. and did not step on the ring till 2 in the morning the next day. That's when we competed. 2 in the morning. Oh, it was horrid. So, you know, I, I, I knew I didn't want to have that happen. And we do the best that we can to, to make sure that that doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, I had a higher-ranked guy. He actually came up to me because his, his division, he had, I think, three or four in his division, but it went through so quick that he was wanting to build another bracket. I'm like, no, we don't do that. And he's just looking at me. He's like, no, nah, man, but we got to listen, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you fight again, but I'll let you sit in the stands till 4 o'clock, and then I'll call you up, and then I'll let you fight again at 6. And he looked at me, knew, he knew what I was saying because his division was already over. He goes, I get it, man. I'm sorry. Wow. Like, no, no worries, dude. I just we're you're 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 thinking since we went through it so quickly, we're just going to create uh, divisions and let everybody just keep fighting. That's not what this is about. It's a good tournament. Here's your division. We just knocked your stuff out where you're able to leave and go eat and go hang out with your family the rest of the day. And you know, it's something kind of unheard of in, in especially in the jujitsu world, in the wrestling world. I mean, if you talk to a parent from wrestling, I mean, which those are one in one person in in a ring. Um, individually so that's a little different but it takes forever i mean you're camping out in a gym for the weekend okay well scott i appreciate you coming on of course midwest bjj national.com um the midwest midwest bjj nationals uh it's a gi tournament it's very efficient yes uh you come in you get guaranteed multiple matches i do think that's a selling point you talked about how you could use it to to um to skim time off but i actually think it's a good thing obviously because someone comes in they're a wipeout even if they get their ass kicked they're going to get a lot of times three matches they lose three matches they learned a little bit you're out of there sometimes you go to other tournaments you get in there you lose a brief done. match and then you drive back home two hours yeah we try we do our best to, to to set the weights together because you know everybody wants specific weight brackets in this 
Um, but you know, and, and the guarantee is is very difficult more than one. But if you just have one person in your division, sometimes we do the best two out of three or the best, you know, whatever the case is to give them some more more time on the mats. But as it grows and more people find out about it. It will definitely change as far as, you know, com- competitors and different schools that want to come in and, and support the tournament. Well, Scott, I really appreciate you coming on the show yeah. today. Thank you, uh, Always a, a good time to recap a little bit of your story, uh, talk about the success of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu of Kentucky, uh, both locations. Yeah. Um, and, and everything positive that's going on at the Academy. I nice. really appreciate your time. Thank you. No, thank you. I also want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, We will have another episode of The Kelly Patrick Show out soon.